Well, happy Independence Day, everybody. Welcome back to Hope. It's really an exciting time to be here. If you were here the past two weeks, you'll remember that Pastor Brian started us off in this DIY series. He first taught us how to read our Bibles, and second, taught us how to recognize God's voice in your life. And it's an honor for me to now finish this series, okay? This is our third sermon in the DIY series, and it's titled, How Do I Pray? How Do I Pray? So you might be pretty smart. Maybe you've picked up that there's a little bit of a theme here. There's a little bit of a theme. Maybe you've noticed there's a lot of Bible passages about your personal relationship with God, that God takes your personal relationship with himself very seriously. And it's true. That's why we're going through this, this series, DIY. We don't want to make a distinction between just the lay people in the church and then those religious experts, right? People have done that in the past. It doesn't end up going so well. We want to say to everybody here, you are called to have a personal relationship with Jesus that is deeply religious and abundantly fruitful. So we're excited um, to talk about this today. And let's just get started, right? How do I pray? You might even be um, a little bit worried that, oh, this is going to be too simple. Too simple. Maybe your idea is like, oh, how do I pray? That's true. That's so easy. Of course I know how to pray. This is not my first rodeo, you know? Um, and if that's your attitude today, I just want to challenge you. I mean, think back. Think back about this week. Think about this month. Have you been praying consistently? I mean, do you have a schedule that you stick to? Is it more of like, oh, when, when I think of God, I occasionally pray to him. Maybe I do a five-minute thing in, in the morning or at night. Nothing wrong with praying in this way. I want to say, if you're praying that way, great. Keep doing it, you know? But I just want to challenge you, are you praying as well as you could? Are you really deeply committed to prayer? I have a couple scriptures here that we want to look to. First is just from David. The great psalmist David, he, he wrote of himself, I am a man of prayer. I am a man of prayer. Some translations read, I devote or I give myself to prayer. Are you giving yourself to prayer? You know, are you a man, woman, or child of prayer? Or is it just cross your mind? Is it just a casual thing to you? Or take a look at Paul, right? He's the Apostle Paul. He wrote to the Thessalonians once, that he and Timothy prayed night and day, most earnestly, that they would see them soon and supply what is lacking in their faith. That's 1 Thessalonians 3.10. Night and day, most earnestly. Does this describe level prayer is communion with God? Prayer is communion with God. And you might even have another, uh, another problem with prayer. You might say, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Drew. But it's not that active. I'm not doing anything significant. I, I can pray, sure, but that's just a bare minimum, you know? Sure, why, why pray? Just merely praying doesn't help. I could go and actually physically give the person the food they need. And if that's what you want to do, go. By all means, do that. But your attitude about prayer has to shift. If that's you today and you're thinking, oh, I, I don't want to merely pray. Guys, prayer is not something you merely do, okay? Prayer is powerful. I think of Augustine's mother. I have a photo here of of St. Augustine and his mother, St. Monica. She prayed nonstop for her son. He was terrible. Okay, first of all, growing up, terrible guy. Um, love Augustine. His life changed completely, but he would tell you himself, right? He wrote Confessions. It was one of his fam most famous books. He wrote, 
about how much he was a rebellious and sinful human being before he was saved. And he just thought back and he was like, oh my gosh, my mother was so devout. She would pray for me constantly. And she would cry and weep over me and say, oh God, please save this young man who was just completely lost. And he acknowledged that. But guess what, guys? It worked. Augustine was saved by his mother's prayers. Or take a look at Mark 9. When Jesus is healing a boy with a demon, right? The disciples tried. They couldn't, they couldn't do it. They failed to drive it out. And when Jesus finally gets to the boy, he heals the boy. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and he came out. The boy looks so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. He's dead. He's a goner. He didn't make it. But Jesus took him by the hand, and he lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do that, right? Why couldn't we drive out that demon? And Jesus replies, this kind can come out only by prayer. Only by prayer, guys. How can prayer be so powerful? How can prayer save the life of a rebellious young teenager? How can prayer be the only means to drive out this demon that was just so terrible all the disciples couldn't even handle it? And these were like, they witnessed Jesus doing these things. You'd think if any disciple can drive out a demon, it's these guys. Only by prayer. The answer, guys, is God is powerful. God is powerful. That's why prayer is powerful, guys. God is powerful. Prayer is communion with God, the one God, the holy God who created the entire universe, who scoffs at his enemies from heaven. This is a powerful God, and you're, you're asking this God, when we pray, right, you're asking this God to come into your situation and to change your life. That's powerful, guys. That's powerful. And look, I could go on and on with the benefits of prayer. I, I love prayer. God fills you with joy, with peace, with understanding through just this simple act of praying to him. And I want you all to be so excited that on your drive home after church, you just can't help it, but you have to say a prayer in the car, right? That's what I want. I want you guys to be excited, maybe a little convicted. I know I am when I think back about my prayer life. I'm not where I want to be. But I want you guys to be excited um, and hopeful about the future with your prayer. But I still haven't really answered this question, how do I pray, okay? I just wanted to get you guys a little bit excited, um, convince you that prayer is worth pursuing. But now, maybe you're convinced, okay? How do you actually pray? How do I pray? Two general categories I want to break it into, okay? One, we have public prayer. And then we have the second category, secret prayer. Public prayer and secret prayer. And both are incredibly important, okay? Both are important. Both are going to bring you closer to the Lord. But the difference and I think it's significant. The difference here between these two is that one of them, us leaders, we can kind of help you out as we go, right? Pastor Brian just led us in prayer. Um, maybe you're in a small group and you pray and the small group leader kind of facilitates it. That's great. We love public prayer. But secret prayer, that's something I know nothing about in your life, right? How are you praying when you're alone with God? I don't know. You could come to church and you could be completely, you know, oh, I'm the most holy person worshiping but it could be deceptive, right? I don't know. People are deceptive sometimes. I'm not trying to, you know, accuse you guys of anything, but Jesus himself called some people whitewashed tombs. That's a, that's a tough condemnation right there. So that's why I want to focus so much on secret prayer. I'm, I'm definitely going to talk about public prayer a little bit here first, just give you some general ideas, um, but the bulk of this message is going to be secret prayer, guys, because that's what I want to equip you for. This series is, is DIY, do it yourself. 
So I don't want you to rely on the leaders. I want you to be benefited by the things that we do, but do it yourself, guys. You can go home and you can pray and do it yourself. And I do also have a little interactive activity for the kids like halfway through. So I'm excited that they're here with us today. It should be a lot of fun. But let's just get started with public prayer. Public prayer. Honestly, this one's really simple. Very simple. If prayer is communion with God, then public prayer is communing with God together. Okay, it's fellowship with the Lord in a group. And it's a beautiful thing, right? How can we do this? Well, we did it today, guys. We worshiped God, and we were calling on God to meet us where we are in those songs, right? We were praying to him communally. Maybe it's when we were praying for people who were in the hospital, right? Thought of Ron Birma, Al Jagazuski. We were praying, led by the elder up here, and you're just silently sitting there, but in your mind, you're directing the words up to God, right? You're following along. You're praying with him. That's another great way to, to pray publicly. Or maybe it's when we have a missionary that comes up here and we lay hands on him, like in Acts 13 when they send out Barnabas and Paul. These are great ways to pray publicly, great ways. But I just don't want to get too restrictive, right? I don't want you guys to think that public prayer has to be a certain prescribed formula. I'll get a little more uh, restrictive when it comes to secret prayer, but I'm just throwing out ideas. I want you guys to, to think about how you can start engaging in public prayer. There's a, uh, a story I want to share about one of the ways in our history that we've engaged in public prayer. And since it is Independence Day, maybe you're all hyped up about America, right? Maybe one time for America, right? No? Nobody's clapping? Well, anyway. Yeah, there we go. We got some America people. So we're all hyped up about this. I'll share a story about someone who actually grew up in the Revolutionary period. So this man's name was John Gridley. And John Gridley, he actually, if any of you are history buffs, he did do battle at the Battle of Bunker Hill. He was in combat. Pretty cool. Um, the guy was born in Roxbury, Massachusetts in the year 1754. And after that battle, I mean, he was just hyped up. He wanted to keep going. He wanted to continue the fight. And what did he do? Well, he volunteered for a siege, a siege they were uh, laying against a stronghold in Quebec, a British stronghold. And if anybody knows about Quebec, it's pretty far north. Nowadays, like let's say if he had gone in July, uh, the low would have been about 55 degrees, not too bad. So that's like, you know, maybe the low around now, this time of year. Uh, it wasn't in July. He volunteered for a siege in Quebec in December. December lows are like 10 degrees at night. Does that sound like something? Any volunteers to this siege? Nobody wants to, nobody wants to go? Well, maybe you're still like, oh, Drew, I could, I could handle that. A little, a cold tent every now and then is not a big deal. How about getting captured by the British, failing your siege, and being imprisoned for nine months? Because that's what happened to John Gridley and a hundred other soldiers with him. He was imprisoned by the British. They tried to escape, of course. They're like, oh, we know there's some Americans nearby. Maybe we can get out. Well, they failed that too. The British weren't too happy about them trying to escape, as you know, you might not be. They chained them together so they couldn't escape. Now they're all chained together. They put them on a boat. They ship them off to like New York. Um, finally, after nine months of all this imprisonment, he gets released into New Jersey. And you'd imagine he's, he's pretty happy to be released. Well, the reason I share this story is not just because it's a cool story about the revolutionary period, but actually, we have um, some historical documents from this guy. 
So one of the first things he did when he came back to his home church is he did an old New England version of a prayer and praise update. Let's throw the, the photo up here. So this is what they called a prayer bill. And these were really common back in the day. A prayer bill was just simple, short and sweet way to praise God. It's, it's kind of like prayer and praise. This particular prayer bill reads, John Gridley and his relations desires to bless God for his goodness to him in returning from captivity to his friends again. This is great. There's not too many details here given, so you have to, you have to fill in the blanks a little bit with who his relations are that are writing this with him. All these things are a little bit... But if you were like John Gridley, maybe you went through a trial and you wanted to, to praise God publicly, you could send an email to prayerandpraise240 at gmail.com. This is the email we dedicate at Hope to receiving and redistributing these kind of things. We want people to be able to pray for you and to connect people together. So I just want to throw out there, there, there's an option. You can email this and say, hey, send out a public, uh, public request for prayer or for praise. I just want to let people know. Or you can say, hey, just keep this within the elders, but I want somebody praying for me. We've had people do that, too. Um, so whichever way you want to use that, I, I want to throw that out there. Another idea, maybe, um, just to finish out this public prayer, we could also pray publicly in small groups. Another thing we do um, at Hope. So small groups are just a great way to get really in deep relationship with about, you know, 10 or 12 people. Um, some of the small groups are a little bigger now. I don't know. We might have to multiply. But... It's a great way to get to know people, to study God's word, and if you're not involved in a group, hey, there's another way for you to be engaging in public prayer. I know Ryan and I co-lead the small group with Malachi and for the college age people. It's a great time, and we have so many options, um, opportunities to pray for people's specific scenarios, things that you might not want to share with the entire church, you know, but you want your, your close friends to be praying for. I think there's biblical basis for this. I have a scripture, Acts 4, it says, it's about when Peter and John actually were imprisoned from, by the religious leaders, and they were telling them, oh, you can't go out and pray, preach the word of Jesus. You can't preach in his name. And they said, well, we're going to do that because this is our calling in life. And they said, no, you can't do that, and they threatened them. Well, they released them finally, and on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. Their own people? Maybe a small group? I don't know. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, Lord, consider the religious leaders' threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This is a really specific scenario that they're in, and they praise God first and then ask him to take part in their specific issues. So you don't have to just come up with these grandiose theological claims when you're praying publicly. You can pray for your specific issues at hand. I, wanna, I want you guys to know that. But that's all I'm going to say right now about public prayer. Okay, public prayer, you can pray as a whole church, small group, lots of different ways. These were just some ideas to get you thinking, how do I pray in public? But you might be sad because you think, oh, this, these are great things. Maybe you already do these things even. But I don't know how to pray in secret. I don't know how to pray in secret. Maybe you feel like you just, you aren't equipped to do that. Well, thankfully, I have my lovely fiance here today. She's going to bring up a toolkit. And this yellow toolkit is the toolkit for secret prayer. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And we're going to have a bit of an interactive sermon today. 
with the kids. This toolkit is everything you need to pray secretly. Every tool we need is in this kit. So I will need some volunteers if I'm going to do this. And preferably you can read. Preferably you can read. But if you have a sister or brother who can help you out, that's fine too. Can I get some hands from the kids? Who wants to volunteer to be the first one to pick out of this toolkit? Oh, we had Zeke put his hand up pretty quick. I'll keep an eye out, but let's, let's have Zeke come up for now. For everyone that doesn't know you, can you say your name? Hi, I'm Zeke. He's Zeke. <laughs> so Zeke, in this toolkit, there's three tools. I want you to choose any of these three that come out to you. Oh, what's this? Do you know what these are? Binoculars. Binoculars, yes. How do you use binoculars? There we go. You look around. You find stuff. You search for things. What does the, the paper say on the binoculars? A quiet place. A quiet place. Thank you. You can put that outside the, the bag now and just head back to your seat. Binoculars and a quiet place. I love this particular tool. This is a great tool. And when I say a quiet place, I'm not talking about that movie that was directed by Jim from The Office, if, if anyone knows that movie. Great movie. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is a real physical location that you can retreat to in order to focus on prayer. A quiet place. This is so important, guys. If you can find a place that you can go to that is completely distraction-free, there's nothing else you could possibly be doing in this place except for prayer, that's what you need to find. And it takes a little bit of effort. You have to intentionally search it out. It's not just going to find you, right? The, the sinful human heart doesn't necessarily want to pray. And our culture certainly doesn't want to uh, keep us focused on anything, it seems like. So there's so many distractions, guys. You've got to find a place. That's why I chose these binoculars. And there's a scripture here from Matthew chapter 6. This is what Jesus said about finding a quiet place to pray. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So, guys, maybe the best place to go is just into your room. Maybe you go into your room and you close the door. Get away from the family for a little bit. Maybe there's a dedicated prayer closet in your house. I don't know. Or maybe you just sit on the couch and you close your eyes, right? You metaphorically close the door because there's no, no rooms for you to go to. But whatever it is, I just encourage you all to find a little bit of time to search. Search for a place that you can go. Our Lord himself often walked to great heights to avoid distraction. I just want to share another scripture, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. Are you, are you going to a mountainside to pray, or are you just going to another room? The mountains around the Sea of Galilee, they were similar in elevation, I would say about 1,500 feet, similar in elevation to the Poconos. So this is kind of like saying Jesus went out to the Poconos to take a hike, to literally find a place where there were no other people distracting him. He had to take a physical hike to get there. And I think that's a lot of effort to take a hike to pray. But if you guys just put in a little bit, a fraction of that effort, to find a place that you can go to, it will benefit you greatly. And why do we need to close the doors, right? Why close our eyes to the outside world? I want to say because God is not visible. And when you close your eyes and close the door to the visible world, to the outside world, you're able to focus your mind on the invisible God. That's what we're trying to do when we pray. Over the past few months, I've been pursuing 
uh, deeper prayer life, and Pastor Brian's been helping me out, this was one of the things I did. And you might say, oh, Drew, well, you found a good place to play, or sorry, good place to pray. Maybe you want to share it with me. And I'll say, okay, absolutely. It's a good place. I'll share it. Hopefully, you know, I still get some time to pray now there. And we don't have people constantly in this place. But it's called Polo's Place. I have a photo here. Polo's Place. I don't think it's a bench dedicated to Marco Polo, the explorer. If you look at the age, it's, I don't even know how many years. 17? Only 17 years. So that would be kind of sad. My guess is it's a dog. My guess is it's a dog named Polo that likes this place. It's in a park. So I think Polo had great sense in where to, where to hang out because I love this place. And I want to show you just a video. Um, real quick, guys, 40 seconds. I want to show you this video and just close your eyes. Imagine you're praying in this place and what it would be like. So peaceful, right? So peaceful. Maybe you're not a big fan of the woods, but I love the woods. I love the woods. This is where I had to go. When I got out in nature, it really changed my prayer life. I was able to focus, and I wouldn't even bring my phone. I would just be out there, nothing else to do. It, it was a place to get away and to change my mindset from the constant busyness. This place is in Pennypack Preserve. It's, it's right down the road, five minutes away. I would wear bug spray if you go. Um, that would be a little less peaceful. But hey, guys, you noticed it wasn't even entirely quiet, right? It was a quiet place that I found with my binoculars. I found this quiet place. But it actually was, it was a little bit loud, even. It had some natural sounds. All of that, it just faded away. The external, for me, just faded away. And I was able to focus on God in my mind. Because those kind of things are white noise to me. I love the woods. I love the forest. But find a place like this. That's what I want to encourage you guys. Find a place like this. I'll need another uh, volunteer here for, for the toolkit. Oh, her hand shot right up. Oh, let's go with you. I'll try to get back to you guys here because we got some, some racing kids here. Do you mind saying your name for everyone who doesn't know you? My name is Paige. Hey, Paige. What do we have here? Oh, do you know what this tool is? A quiet hour. Yes, it says a quiet hour. That's a tape measure. And it's a tape measure, guys. A quiet hour and a tape measure. Do you know how to use a tape measure? You can measure stuff, exactly. Maybe you're cutting some wood and you mark it up as you go so you know what to cut. Perfect. Hey, just put it right next to the binoculars there and you can go take a seat. Thanks so much, Paige. So this next tool is a great, great tool. And, and I would encourage all of you, get your measuring tapes out and find a quiet hour. Find a quiet hour. This one might be a little bit more difficult for people. Maybe they say, yeah, I, I know a place that I can get to, but I don't have any time to do it. Right? Your schedules are just so hectic. How can I possibly find time to pray? And even if I do find the time, is it the best hours of the day? Maybe not. Well, guys, we need to realize if we're going to pray like a disciple of Jesus, we've got to pray like Jesus prayed. I have Luke 
chapter 5, verse 16 up here. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew. And that word often, guys, it wasn't rarely that he prayed. It wasn't occasionally he withdrew and he prayed a little bit. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So maybe you found your, your lonely place. What's next? You gotta measure out your week. You gotta plan accordingly. You gotta mark, where can I possibly find time to do this? I recently read a book on prayer called The Hidden Life of Prayer by the Scottish Presbyterian David McIntyre, and he writes, here's a quote, if we are to have a quiet hour set down for prayer in the midst of a hurry of duties and kept sacred, we must exercise both forethought and self-denial. We must be prepared to forego many things that are pleasant and some things that are profitable. Many things that are pleasant and some things that are profitable. And this is so important, guys. It's such a wise quote, I think, because you might be pretty busy with a lot of fun stuff. You might be like, oh, I just really want to hang out with the bros and watch the game, you know? That's so much fun, and, and I'll pray tomorrow. Or maybe you're just really close to finishing that video game. You're like, oh, I'm almost done. Just a couple more hours of play time, and I'll be done, and I can pray tomorrow. But guys, we have to prioritize prayer, or it's not going to happen. There's a lot of fun things you could spend your time doing. But what David's saying here is, in order to have a quiet hour of prayer, we're going to need to practice a little self-denial here. And maybe your issue is, oh, you're not even worried about the, the pleasurable stuff. You're like, no, 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 I'm full of really good ministry work. I'm doing great stuff for the Lord. I got I to gotta call this woman. She's been struggling with her faith, and I really just want to connect with her. It's been a while. And so you're saying, oh, I have all this great ministry work to do. I'll, I'll pray tomorrow. I'll pray tomorrow. But guys, I want to also, can we go back to Luke 5.16, the next slide here? It says that Jesus withdrew. So he often withdrew, right? That's important. But he also withdrew. To, to even use that word signifies some sort of stopping his duties, stopping the work that he's doing. And think about it, guys. You know, if you think your life is full of really great ministry opportunities for the Lord, this is Jesus, guys. This is Jesus. There's nobody in the world who ever was or ever will be who has a better chance of getting more ministry work done for the, the Lord. And what did he do? He often withdrew. He often withdrew. So he, he did take time away. He was able to forego sometimes even profitable things, whether it's monetarily profitable, whether it's spiritually profitable. He took a break. He took a break and he prayed because he prioritized prayer. So let's all use our measuring tapes well, right? We've got our binoculars. We can search out for a good place to pray. We find that spot. And then we go and we measure out our schedules and we find time and we say, okay, like my father always said, right? Measure twice, cut once. Let's Find a place where we can go, double check, make sure you can really do this, okay, and then actually get it done. So now we have, we have that, that schedule planned. Our last tool here, who is another volunteer? Yeah, they, they went up real quick. I'll take both of you guys. So this is our last tool for the kids' volunteers. Thank you for all our volunteers. What are your names here for people that don't know you? Uh, Willa and I'm Chloe. Willa and Chloe. Would you like to pick this last tool? I don't know which one of you, maybe one of you pick it and the next one read. What is this tool, do you know? Um, it's like an evener. An evener, yes. Maybe some people call it a level. Do you know what a level does? Or how you use a level? So if you were building, let's say, this table here, you might want it to be really flat and even, right? You would test and make sure you did it. 
This one is very even. In between these two lines is a bubble. And if that bubble is in the middle, you know you've got an even table. If it's off to one side, it's crooked. So what does the, the word say here? A quiet heart. A quiet heart. A quiet heart. Thank you, guys. You can put it right next to the others and take a seat. Thanks so much. Our third tool here is a level, and it represents a quiet heart. This one is very essential. It's very essential, and it's maybe even of particular importance because of our culture. I think I've mentioned this a little bit before, but our culture doesn't really prioritize focusing in on things. There's a lot of distractions, constantly trying to bing at you with your phone games or emails or texts. It drives me nuts. I literally I have 43 apps in my phone, and of course, my phone's in my pocket almost all the time. If all of those apps were getting at me, I would, be, I would just be crazy. I wouldn't have any time to do anything. My mind would be scatterbrained everywhere. So I turn off 26 out of 43 of those apps. No, no notifications from them at all. I just, whenever I want to use them, I go in and I do it. But some of those things you just can't stop, right? Some of those things will come at you and, and you have to have that on. So how can we engage in secret prayer when we're just alone with the Lord? How can we do that and have a quiet heart with all of this distraction? I just want you guys to think that maybe our culture isn't the way it has to be all the time. We, we might look at secret prayer, we might say, this is like the most opposite thing that we could do. We have to put away everything that I usually do and secretly pray in this little closet that's completely unrelated to most of my daily routine. And that's true. But it wasn't always that way, right? And it doesn't always have to be that way. I think I want to share a, a quote here. It's a little bit of a weird quote, but it's a quote from David Brainerd. He was a young American missionary to the Delaware Indians back in the 1700s, okay? And he said after one very intense session of prayer that I could scarcely walk straight. My joints were loosed, the sweat ran down my face and body, and nature seemed as if it would dissolve. What the heck? This guy sounds like he's on something, right? That's what, we would, that's what our initial reaction would be. But I'm telling you guys, this guy was just deep in communion with God. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating blood, do you think it was anything like this intensity of prayer? Now, this guy didn't sweat blood, but he was sweating a lot. <laughs> and I want you guys to realize there are people and Christians in the past who have prayed like insane levels of prayer. If this one's still a little bit weird for you, how about the next one? It's, it's from a an English pastor, also from the 1700s, called John Berridge. He wrote that all decays begin in the closet. No heart thrives without much secret converse with God, and nothing will make amends for the want of it. Nothing will make amends for the want of it. This, I really love this quote because it gets at the heart of why prayer is so important. This secret prayer in your life, it plays a very pivotal role, and there's nothing that can fill it. If you're not secretly praying to the Lord, then you're decaying, according to John Barrich, okay? And if you're decaying, and you're part of this body of Christ, and we're all, that's a problem, not just for your life, but for everybody. We're relying on each other, okay? This is a community, excuse me, where we rely on each other to be spiritually healthy. So having a quiet heart is important, guys. It's important. And these believers that were in the 1700s, they were able to quiet their hearts, maybe a little too quiet. I don't know. It seems a little weird. But Let's quiet our hearts like them just a little bit and try to manage to find some time to focus our hearts and commune with God, okay? To properly do this, we might have to turn off our phones. We might have to put our phones away. That's what I do when I go to 
to Polo's place, right? I don't even bring it with me. It would just be distracting. So I have to turn that off. I have to focus my mind and pray in secret to the God who deserves our full and undivided attention. I hope that we can all settle our hearts long enough here to join David in, in Psalm 27. He says, My heart says of God, Seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Let's all have, let's all have that spirit as we approach our secret prayer. And I do have actually one more tool in this toolkit. I left it hidden in here in a shirt because I wanted to do this one last. So this tool might be the most important tool. I want to say if you have your binoculars and you have your measuring tape and you have your level, you can get pretty far. But it's all kind of worthless without this tool. This last tool is very important. This last tool is a hammer. And this hammer represents bold faith. Bold faith. You know how to use a hammer, right? You have a nail, and you're hammering the nail into the wood in order to build a house, for example. Well, if I were trying to build a house, and that was representing my secret prayer life, and I was using this tool, this bold faith tool, to pray secretly, what would that be like in a metaphor? That would be like... If I didn't have bold faith while secretly praying, I'd be like holding a nail and tapping really lightly, trying to build my house. Tapping really lightly. And maybe it's because I'm, I'm worried I don't want to hit my finger, right? It hurts when you hit your finger with a hammer. I've done it. It does hurt. Don't try it. Um, but if you're a little worried about that, you might tap lightly. But then you're not going to have the nail go into the wood. And you might think that you're being more safe, but eventually the storm's going to come. Maybe it's going to hail soon, and you haven't even finished your house. If you haven't finished your house, by the time the storm comes, you're in deep trouble. You're going to be seriously injured or at least annoyed by the rain. So all of these things that you, you might be thinking, oh, I'm not going to pray with bold faith. I'm just going to keep it inside a little bit. Like, I don't need to go too crazy with my prayer life. I don't need to trust Jesus with that much of my life. It seems like you're being safe but you're actually being really dangerous because when the storm comes, it's going to hurt you. I want to see uh, the scripture here, James 1.6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. Faith in what? One, faith that Jesus will do what he says. Right? He says, if we ask in his name, it will be given to us. Let's trust him at that. Okay? Let's believe God. He told us that we should trust him at his word and the Lord is true. I want to say there's, there's another thing we have to have faith in. We have to have faith in the gospel. We have to have faith in Jesus, right? We can't just pray to God without believing that he died for our sins and rose again victorious. We can't do it. What, what are you doing if you're praying without believing the gospel? I want you to, to see another scripture here, Ephesians 3.12. In Jesus, and through faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. That's how we can pray at all, guys. We don't have a way to God without Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh my gosh, my, my sins, they keep me away from God. I, I can't pray to him. I, I'm too afraid. He's too holy for me. I'm just this humble guy. You're not alone, guys. I want to encourage you. There, there was a parable about a guy like this. He went up to the synagogue and he beat his breast and he couldn't even look to God. He was so ashamed of his sin, but he trusted and he had faith in Jesus, 
And guess what happened? That man left redeemed. That man left redeemed. And that can be you today if you're struggling with your faith. If you're struggling to pray, I want you guys, be encouraged. So many people have approached the throne of God humbly and ashamed of their sin, and they've left redeemed. Because Jesus can change you. And so, I want you guys to know you're not alone, but you have to use this bold faith. You must use bold faith to pray secretly to God. God can do way more than our imaginations can ever even fathom. Guys, this, this God is so powerful, like we've talked about. God is powerful, and he can do so much more than we even think to ask. It's not because of what we've done, guys, but it's because of what God has done for us. And so I want us to all remember that and to have bold faith in what we ask for when we're praying secretly. So just to wrap it up, how do I pray? Right? How do I commune with God? Well, you do it in public and you do it in secret. Those are the two ways we do it here. How do I pray in secret? Four tools. Okay, Four tools to pray in secret. You do it by finding a quiet place. You do it by measuring out a quiet hour, intentionally leveling and quieting your heart, and then swinging that hammer of faith. If you have those four tools, then you have the four tools that you need for secret prayer. So before I close, just one last scripture I want to share to encourage you. It's, it's James 4.8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Dear Lord, you are our mighty Savior. You are our eternal security. Those who place their faith in you will not be conquered by any powers or rulers or temptations of this world. We praise your name forever and ask that you would meet us where we are today. Give us the faith to trust what you have promised and the desire to pray earnestly. If we need to pray that we would pray, then let's do it. Pray for the desire to pray, guys. May we all come nearer to you, God, and experience the peace and joy of your presence coming nearer to us. We love you, we worship you, and we eagerly await the return of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.